0: Open your Bibles, please, this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, and as I told you a few moments ago, let us consider together the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 1. I love a subject like this. As the Apostle Paul told me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, And in some other places also, it's a great subject because it divides men. The righteous love to hear about the blood of Jesus Christ because their hearts have been quickened to appreciate what price was paid for their souls. And wicked men hate it because it's so boring to them because they have no interest in it. The Jews sought after a sign, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 tells us, and the Greeks sought after wisdom. Now, if Paul wanted to have won either of them, he would have adapted his message to those two categories of people. But he didn't give signs, and he didn't preach wisdom. He preached Christ and him crucified. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it was foolishness. But unto them which are called, they saw in the preaching of the cross of Christ the power and the wisdom of God. It divides men, and it's always divided men. And so I love this subject. Amen. I want to read to you in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, down through verse 21. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Amen. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Amen. Amen. An exhortation to us as New Testament saints as to why we ought to live sober and godly lives waiting for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Because he purchased us with his precious blood. Right. And because he purchased us with such a valuable sacrifice of himself, And his blood, we ought to live for him while we're waiting for the Lord's return. And we ought to pass the time of our sojourning here in fear because we're calling upon the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we better be holy as he is holy. That's a little summary of these verses. But the theme and the central point that I want to pull out of it is in that 19th verse where it speaks of the blood of Jesus Christ as the precious blood. Of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He was the perfect Lamb of God and He shed His blood for us. I want to simplify the gospel and keep it as simple as the Bible declares it to be. And that is that the great God has created angels and men for His own honor and glory. He didn't create them for their pleasure, He created them for His own honor and glory. And a great drama is playing itself out in human history. And that's all for the glory of God. Sin wouldn't have entered this world if it hadn't been into the government and plan of God. He could have kept Satan out of the Garden of Eden as easily as he kept Adam and Eve out of it after they sinned. Sin was part of his design to magnify himself. And he's going to get glory, brethren. Amen. And we're living out that drama right now. But the great transaction price of that drama is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Right. Amen. He created this world and flesh and blood beings that walk on it, not like angels who are spirits and have no flesh or blood, only when they take on such an appearance for us to see them with our eyes. But he created flesh and blood beings and he's going to redeem a great host of them to worship Him in heaven forever and ever, and so He sent His Son in that same flesh and blood to shed His blood for their sins. And in the great end of it all, when there's the great appearance before His tribunal, and the righteous are judged so, out of the Lamb's book of life, He will get all the glory. Amen. He will get all the glory, because we will know that in and of ourselves there's no difference between us and the wicked. He'll get all the glory in that great day. And for that great day, he's created all things. And we shall then be married to him in the great marriage supper of the Lamb and spend eternity in sweet fellowship and praise of him forever. And so I love to reduce all of human history and the Bible to this great drama that's being played out. The great God is going to magnify himself in the affairs of men and angels. And Jesus Christ is the central man. Our Redeemer, there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, and he shed his blood for us, brethren. We have a wedding tomorrow in our church, and I want you to see, however, today the mystery of the marriage between Jesus Christ and his church and the price that was paid. That dowry in the Old Testament was only 50 shekels of silver. You could get yourself a couple, a yoke of oxen with that, which are the means of production so a man could become rich from 50 shekels of silver, and he'd give that silver away in order to purchase himself a bride. But God the Father gave the precious blood of his only begotten Son to purchase a bride. And that bride was very ugly to look upon before that purchase price. In fact, we were his enemies. And he washed us in the blood of his only begotten Son and made us holy and without blame and without spot so that we can be a perfect bride. And there's going to be a great marriage where the dowry that was paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. In order for us to truly return to biblical Christianity, we must preach, think, and meditate upon the blood of Christ. It's not a very popular theme anymore because it's too dirty. It's too ugly. It's not popular to think about the blood, but we ought to, and we will this morning. You know, we're, we're so far removed from blood in our lives. We don't have bloody wars anymore. We sit at consoles and push buttons. In the days of the Old Testament, you had the warm blood of other men running all over your body before you finished a battle. Right. Because it was hand-to-hand combat. We have been delivered from the bloody preparation of food because it's all sanitized, sterilized, and shrink-wrapped in our grocery stores. You used to have to go out and get yourself bloody to have supper. We're removed from bloody surgeries because we put it far away in pretty buildings called hospitals and doctor's offices where they make sure that not a drop remains behind. Isn't that true? We've been removed from capital punishment in the way that it was done in the Old Testament. There'd have been lots of blood splattered from stones crushing a man's body. Today we lay him in such a surgical position and let a little poison drip into his bloodstream. We've just been removed from blood. Right. And so we have to go back into the Bible and cause ourselves to think upon something that we don't see very often in our society. Because the blood is a theme throughout the Bible. The right. shedding of, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, right, the Bible tells us. God created blood and put it in the living creatures that he created. Right down to insects have blood. Blood. God put blood in living creatures because it is the life fluid that carries all the nutrients and their life. The Bible tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so the blood coming out of a body is the best picture of death because the life of that flesh is in the blood. But if you puncture that body and the blood runs out of that body, there is no life left in the body because the life is in the blood. And so from beginning to end, we have blood being referred to because it's such a graphic picture of death. You know how much we worry about blood? Just think. How much do you worry about blood? Ever taken your blood pressure? Ever worried about your blood sugar? Do you have a blood type? Do you know your blood viscosity? You know, we talk about thin blood, thick blood. We thought that our Russian member would have thicker blood than the rest of us, but see who gets cold quickly around here. We've thinned her blood out so much by being in South Carolina that she's lost her thick blood. You know, you take, you're supposed to take an aspirin a day, the doctor says, to change the viscosity of your blood to reduce the chance of a heart attack. We, have, we make blood donations. We take blood tests. We worry about our blood cell counts. We talk about blood poisoning. And we worry about our hearts because our hearts are the pump that keeps that blood going. Do we think about blood? You know you have other organs in your body that is essential to your life as your heart. But we all focus on the heart because the heart pumps that blood. Men fear heart attacks because a heart attack is damage to the pump. Men fear strokes because a stroke is a a deprivation of blood to the brain. We think about blood a lot, and the Bible talks about blood a lot. We used to see a whole lot more of it. Some were able to see a birth that recently took place in this assembly, and you were able to see some blood. And what an interesting setup that comes out with a baby at birth. That placenta is a bloody thing, and there's that wonderful extension cord running from it to the baby. And through that cord passes the fluid of life. Blood. And what an intricate, infinite design of the great creator God to create that placenta that attaches itself to the wall of a woman's womb. Her blood is circulating on one side, the baby's blood totally separate of a different blood type circulating on the other side, and they're circulating like this, and passing through them are all the nutrients of life, and that baby lives so well. And you bring that baby out of the womb and cut that extension cord so that it is now dependent upon its own blood, it cries, its heart valves change, it opens its lungs, and it begins to live on its own with that fluid of life in it. God created that, brethren. And he wants us to think about blood. And you know what blood I'm headed toward. I just want you to realize how important we all know it is, even before we get to the most precious and important blood that was ever shed. Look at Leviticus chapter 17, where I can show you that the Lord taught his church of Israel that the life of the flesh was in the blood. And he had some pretty strict rules regarding that blood because of it. Leviticus chapter 17. We cannot measure the value of the blood of Christ, we can measure the net worth of Bill Gates. We can measure the net worth of a nation. But we cannot measure the net worth of the blood of Christ because it is of infinite value. Because it covered infinite wickedness of our sins and it pleased the infinite God to receive it. We can't put a price tag on it. But that blood has been shed and taken into heaven by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself And offered to God and it was accepted as a payment for our sins. That instead of the eternal condemnation we deserve, we obtain eternal redemption in his presence forever. And that price has been paid. It's an incredible thing. But our hearts are so cold because we live carnally and because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And the flesh wars against this knowledge. But brethren, I hope there's a spirit in you this morning that is thankful for the blood of Christ being shed for you. Leviticus chapter 17, Moses commanded the people of Israel in verse 10, and whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel or of the strangers that sojourn among you that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood and will cut him off from among his people for the life of the flesh is in the blood And you can go on and read several other verses that God did not let Israel eat blood. You didn't get rare meat. You weren't given that option in a restaurant in the Old Testament. Because God was not going to allow blood to be eaten because blood was such a special thing as it signified the blood that was going to be shed in a few thousand years when Jesus shed it on the cross. Now even in the council at Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, they picked up this prohibition from the Old Testament and repeated it for the sake of the Jews that had been converted into the New Covenant, because that would have been such a heinous thing in that transitional period from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant for a Jew to have witnessed a Gentile eating blood because God had spoken so severely against it. So that was one of the four prohibitions that was communicated by the Apostle Paul from the Council of Jerusalem, no eating of blood, no meat strangled, if you're going to eat meat, you cut its throat and drain it. Right. Because we're not going to eat blood during this transitional time. Even you Gentiles are going to be bound by this prohibition during the period of Reformation. And so it's mentioned there again. You know, blood was so important that when Noah came out of the ark and stood there and God gave him his great rainbow in the sky, the covenant that God would never drown the earth again with water, he, in order to replenish the earth... God said that if any man sheds another man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Because he was going to protect life so that they could replenish the earth. Genesis chapter 3. Look at it with me, please. Genesis chapter 3. The very beginning. I told you that it was a theme from beginning to end. There were no carnivores in Genesis chapter 3. Because until after the flood, all animals ate herbs and plants. They were all herbivores. It changed after the flood. But I want to tell you that animals were killed. They were killed by man and they were killed by God in order for there to be shedding of blood. To start a picture that starts in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve sinned against God and in their sin, they then knew that they were naked, and they went and hid themselves in the tree of the garden. They made fig leaves to try to cover their nakedness because they had shame and guilt for the first time in their lives. But what did God have to do to cover their nakedness? We read it in verse 21, Genesis three twenty-one. unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them in order to clothe and cover a man and his wife from the shame and guilt of their nakedness. from Because of their sin, God had to kill animals because animals don't volunteer to have their skin taken off. You have to kill an animal before you can... I'm not talking about cutting its wool off like a sheep. We're talking about its skin. Right. And its skin was taken off so that Adam and Eve could be clothed from the consequences of their sin. And already there is a picture given of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood was shed so that we would be clothed in the white robes of his righteousness. And you'll see them in heaven. As we make our way to the book of Revelation, it says that there's a great multitude there that no man can number dressed in white. And John asks, who are these? And how did they get their garments so white? And the answer is, they were washed in the blood of the lamb. Now, how do you get something white by washing it in blood? None of you wives have ever done that in the laundry room. But when it's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the white robes are representing the white righteousness and holiness of God, his blood does create white robes. We go to the next chapter in the book of Genesis and we find that Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to the Lord. Now Cain was more politically correct in that he brought a cleaner offering he was proud of his profession. God didn't care what he did for a living, but he brought of the fruit of the ground. He brought some grain. It was clean. There were no flies attracted by his grain, but Abel brought of the fat of his flock. He brought some sheep and cut their throats and let their blood run and then offered them as a sacrifice. And God accepted one and rejected the other. Because God had already laid down the principle of sacrifice. There must be bloodshed, because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted, and Cain's was rejected, and Cain was rejected along with it. And we read about Abel, all the way over in Hebrews chapter 11, that God sanctified and blessed and received his sacrifice, because it was righteous, and his brothers was not. And you know what? Abel is mentioned in another place also. It's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, that in the new covenant, we come to the blood of Jesus that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Ab- the blood that Abel brought was, was pretty good because God accepted it. But we've come to the blood of Jesus. And Hebrews twelve twenty-four tells us that we are now connected to a blood sacrifice that's better than that of Abel, Amen. the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turning your bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. A whole chapter of 51 verses dedicated to describing in detail the feast of the Passover. Because as Israel left Egypt, after all those plagues, there was one last work of judgment on the nation of Egypt that God was going to bring he was going to pass through, the angel of the Lord would pass through Egypt that night and would slay the firstborn in every family of man and beast. And Israel was to get their families together, one lamb to a house. And the father was to take that lamb, and the lamb is described very carefully. They were to keep that lamb up. That means they would all become familiar with that lamb as like a household pet. And then they would cut that lamb's throat and put its Blood in a bowl. And they would approach the doorway of that house. And they would put that blood in the side post and over the door. And Moses told those Israelites that when the angel of the Lord comes through tonight, he's going to come to every house and he's going to look for that blood. And if that blood is there, he will pass over that house. And so we have the Passover feast. What a picture. What a picture. And brethren, every time we sit at the Passover of the New Testament, and we take up that cup and drink it, and we remember the blood of Jesus Christ that is applied to us so that when God in the great day of judgment looks at us, He is going to pass over us because all our sins will have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Wonderful. Wonderful news. You can't learn this by looking at the trees. You can't learn this by studying the stars. You have to learn this by revelation from the Word of God that the precious blood of Jesus Christ has been shed for our sins and He will pass over us in that great day. There is no amount of arguing, explaining, justifying that we can do. We will be stripped naked before the Holy God. But His blood will cover us when our names are found written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because all those names there in the Lamb's book of life have had their sins covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. What a blessing. What a gift. Something we ought to consider. We ought to thank him for it. If the the Israelites of old were told in Psalm 50, which we read this morning, that they ought to be thankful, how much more should we be thankful? Who are under the new covenant. They were still offering the blood of goats and bulls. and We have the blood of Christ offered once for us. We should be most thankful. If we look into the Old Testament, as Moses made all the instruments of the tabernacle and built the tabernacle, he didn't build it himself. Bezalel built it. Moses was not mechanically inclined and was intimidated by the whole project. But God said, see, I have chosen Bezalel and called him to do this work. But as each instrument and vessel and the tabernacle itself was fashioned, every single piece of it was sanctified, made holy, and fit for God's use by what means the sprinkling of blood everything had to have blood on it you'll see the priests coming before Aaron and getting blood on their ears blood was everywhere what a messy religion think about it think about going every time you went to church you had to take a lamb and have its throat cut and then burned there were flies everywhere it stunk it was ugly it was horrible Because it was showing a picture of the horror that would take place on a place called Calvary. When the Lord Jesus Christ would hang there and his blood would dry and coagulate and flies would be attracted. And it was so ugly to all men except those who have been taught in their hearts by God. And that come unto Jesus Christ knowing that he was a great high priest offering a sacrifice of the greatest value the universe has ever seen. In that ugly picture of death, dying, and blood flowing from all of his wounds. Men don't like that picture. There are some churches that are so sterilized and sanitized today, they take the the songs about blood out of their hymnals because they don't want to sing about the blood. It's just too dirty of a subject. It's not civilized enough. Well, brethren, that uncivilized sacrifice was the redemption of our souls. And that sacrifice, which which shows in the most graphic and colorful way the death of the Son of God was received by God in heaven. And covers us in this life and in the world to come when we stand before his judgment seat. Amen. Satan saw that from the beginning, and so he has aped the shedding of blood in pagan religions. Turn in your Bibles to First Kings chapter 18, First Kings chapter 18, just to see how that pagan religion apes the true. Satan knows that what he ought to do is to have a counterfeit. He can't come up with his own. So he has a counterfeit religion in order to tempt the people of God. And how many times was Israel attracted to Baal worship? Over and over, Israel was attracted to Baal worship. Because there were some similarities. I want to show you one. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. You know what's taking place here. Elijah, the singular prophet of God, has called together 450 prophets of Baal. And he has told the people, let's have a little contest here to show who the true God is. You pick two bullocks, give one to the prophets of Baal and one to me. We'll offer a sacrifice and we'll see which God answers by fire. Verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them, and they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon. And if you go on down, you can see Elijah in verse 27 mocking them in their religious service. And so we justify doing a little bit of that ourselves from time to time. Verse 28, and they cried aloud after he mocked them, and cut themselves with their manner after their manner. "...with knives and lancets, till the blood gushed out upon them." Now I want you to notice that they are jumping on their altar, shedding their own blood, after they shed the blood of a bullock. They're using a blood sacrifice, similar in some ways to the sacrifices of Israel, but it's Baal. Satan has corrupted the worship of God by having, using animal sacrifices and blood, even among pagans." Where would they have ever gotten the idea that to make peace with God, you ought to kill an animal and let its blood run out? Why didn't they take leaves and stuff them in their ears? I mean, one's as good as the other. That's right. Why didn't they plant trees upside down? Where did they get the idea of shedding the blood of an animal? Because from the very beginning, God had given that to his people. Abel was the first one that we read about offering those bloody sacrifices, and it continued perpetually. But Satan, as his manner is, attempted to corrupt the Word of God. And you know there's a great corruption today. Pagan religions have often drunk the blood of animals and the blood of men. And so we have a Catholic religion that calls itself Christian. But one billion people who call themselves Catholics, when they take the Mass, believe that they are drinking literal blood. They are not drinking a picture of Christ's blood. They are not doing something symbolically or figuratively. They are drinking the literal body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ because they believe that they have recreated Jesus Christ on their altars. And when they hold him up and call him the Lamb of God, they believe that they're holding him in their hands. When they're done, they lock him away in the little house for safekeeping. But they believe that they're drinking the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even if they don't get the cup, and they're taking the host, the host, the cracker itself, is the full body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ under the one substance. That's their doctrine. So there they go. There's Satan aping the true religion. We know that there's only been one sacrifice offered, and it was offered forever once to God. And we don't offer it again on our altars. All we do on our altars is remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 as we consider Christ's blood. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, that first promise of the redemption that was coming, and it was made not to our parents, but to Satan. If you look at verse 14, it says, The Lord God said unto the serpent. And verse 15 finishes the sentence, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It, that is the woman's seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise not its heel, but his heel. Because it's the male seed of the woman. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to bruise the head of Satan, and all Satan is going to do is bruise the heel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is a wound to your heel a fatal wound? No, it's a scratch. And that's all the higher a serpent can reach. Now, what about the wound to the serpent? Is it fatal? If you punch a hole in your head, the blood's going to run out. Those of us who are parents know that when our children hit their heads, boy, there's a lot of blood pressure up there, isn't there? That blood can go a long ways. I've seen my son David, about two years of age, laying on a floor after trying to split his skull on a piece of furniture with the blood just pumping. It'll come up quite a ways out of a head wound. And where was the wound on Satan? The Lord Jesus Christ was going to bruise his head. Brethren, it was quite a bruise. It's like smashing a bird's egg. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I say that in authority of Colossians chapter 2, where it says of the Lord Jesus Christ that he made an open show of Satan, triumphing over him, At the cross, where Satan thought he was putting the Lord Jesus to death, the greatest victory was being accomplished in the universe. That price was being paid to deliver us from the power of the strong man, because the stronger man had arrived on the scene, our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you love him this morning. I hope you love him. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, where I can show you the glory of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is the great mystery of godliness? Is it that we can turn a cracker into God on our altar? Or is it that God was manifest in the flesh? Is, there, is that important? Amen. If there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood, and if God is the offended being in our, with our sins, we need some pretty valuable blood. God must be manifest in the flesh. This is the human drama. And you can't learn this by looking at the stars. This is looked at by the word of God. We must have blood of infinite value to pay the infinite sacrifice necessary for the infinite redemption of our souls against infinite justice. And God devised a plan. And it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. And verse 14, Hebrews 2.14, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, for as much then as you and I, the children of God, have flesh and blood, do you understand? Mm -hmm. Since we have flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. No, false religion can't capture us anymore because we know that we've been delivered from the power of death. For verily of a truth, he took not on him the nature of angels. Jesus didn't come in the form of a spirit like an angel, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He took on flesh and blood so that He could shed His blood. Great is the mystery of godliness. 1 Timothy 3.16 God was manifest in the flesh. The Word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And if you have flesh, that flesh doesn't live without blood. Jesus became a flesh and blood man in order to pay the infinite sacrifice for our sins. Do you love Him this morning? Amen. He shed His blood for us, brethren. And that blood is the greatest substance of the highest value of anything in the universe. And it's centra- It's a central theme to this great drama that is playing out. And that will play out at the judgment seat of God. When the blood of Christ will deliver us from our sins. Because when the books are open and if the truth be told, we all deserve hell. Right. Right. But I'm glad there's another book there. Amen. Beyond the books of all our works. And that's the book of the Lamb slain. Amen which will cover us with His blood. I hope that I've just explained enough that when you go into a place like Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, and it says that God purchased the church with His own blood, you understand it. Does God have blood in His divine nature? No. No. But God became flesh so that He could shed His own blood for the remission of our sins when we were His enemies. That's a love story you can't even connect with, except by grace. That you would give your own life for your enemies. No man will ever do it. Most men won't even give their lives for their friends. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Romans chapter 5. But he commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners and his enemies, Christ died for us and shed his precious blood. I want to tell you about that blood. Come over to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. What kind of a lamb, what kind of a sheep was to be taken to have its blood shed? I just gave that away. It was to be a lamb. If you've ever seen a lamb, and I have, I have seen a few in my lifetime, they look, they're such an innocent-looking little creature. So puffy and soft and white, if you've kept them out of the Dirt. If you've seen one after it's been shorn and all that gray wool is taken away, it's as white as can be down near its skin. Under that old covenant, a lamb was to be taken, white, and it was to be without blemish and without spot. It was to have no faults. You didn't bring a lamb with a broken leg, which you knew wasn't going to develop to maturity. You didn't bring a lamb like that unless you were a profane sinner. You brought the best. You brought the fat of your flock. That's the best of your flock in order to give a sacrifice to God in the Old Covenant. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. He came fulfilling that practice. And I want to show you at his trial what was known about him in Matthew chapter 27. The two most knowledgeable people at his trial said that he was an innocent man and it was innocent blood. I want to show you that. Who were the two most important people at his trial? Pilate, the one that heard all the testimonies for and against him. And Judas, who had spent three and a half years watching his perfect life. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 4. Here's what Judas had to say about our Lord Jesus Christ. He threw his money down to the elders of the Jews and said in verse 4, I have sinned, in that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. I have betrayed the innocent blood. Out of all the people at the trial of Jesus Christ, who would have known if there was any sin that he could have been accused of the most? Judas. Three and a half years of intimate dealings with our Lord Jesus Christ. He watched him. In private, he watched him. in public. He was able to see any inconsistency if there was one, and he was able to bring it before these Jews. And even if he didn't have to make it public, he could have used it to satisfy his own conscience in the matter, but he couldn't. I have betrayed the innocent blood. Now let's go look at Pilate. Same chapter. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. There's Pilate, the one who was the most knowledgeable, the best educated, knowing the law, understanding fairness and equity, having heard all these witnesses contradict themselves. He washed his hands and said, I do not want to have anything to do with this man's innocent blood, because he is just. What a testimony. Brethren, was our lamb brought without blemish and without spot? Amen. I hope you love him this morning. Amen. What a horrible death he died. What a horrible death our Savior died. His back was punctured numerous times by being scourged, so that he bled from his back. A crown of thorns was driven into his head so that he bled from his head. His face was punched unmercifully after he had been blindfolded as the Roman soldiers made fun of him. He bled from his face. His hands and his feet were punctured with nails being driven all the way through them. He bled from those four spots. And then after he had already died... They had to ram a spear into his side, which greatly punctured his great body cavity and outflowed blood and water, which we sang about this morning. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. That blood ran down that wooden cross and into the dirt and coagulated there and stank. Because our sins were upon him and his blood had to be shed in order for there to be a sacrifice. But brethren, that blood is sweet. Amen. That blood is sweet and precious. That's why it's called the precious blood of Christ in 1 Peter 1.19. And, brethren, we need to offer up thanksgiving for that blood to our, to our Savior and to God our Father who sent it for us to redeem us from our sins. Amen. How often, how often do you thank God the Father for the blood that was shed? Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. There are so many places I would like to take you as we look at the shedding of His blood and how many times, especially our brother Paul, made reference to it. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Much more than being now justified by His blood. We have been justified, that is, made righteous by His blood. That is, our sins have been paid for by His blood. Justification is a legal term meaning that our sins have all been paid for, so there is nothing to lay to our charge. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. There's nothing left to be laid to our charge. And we're given His perfect righteousness, so that as we're looked upon in the legal view of God, we're perfectly righteous, much more than being now justified by His blood. We shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. He is now our great high priest at the right hand of God, ever pleading, ever interceding for us. That precious blood that He shed, it was offered once. But He is constantly there as a priest who does not die because He ever lives to make intercession for us. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And my brethren, for, th- for thousands of years, 2,000 years, the saints of God have gathered in simple assemblies and heard about the blood of Jesus Christ Amen. and found their comfort and consolation and hope in that blood. I read in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Remember the children that he had to be like in Hebrews 2? They partook of flesh and blood, so he partook of flesh and blood, these are his children, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus has made us accepted in himself because God looks at us in Christ Jesus, who is most acceptable to him. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well Well pleased, and we were put into that Son and made accepted to God, in whom, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Is God's grace rich? Yes. It's paid the ultimate price. I'm so thankful that He was able and willing to pay the infinite price that it took from His riches to redeem us and to forgive us all our sins. This is the gospel. Come over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. You know, the whole book of Hebrews is Paul comparing Jesus Christ to the terms and ceremonies...